Hey, welcome into episode 10 of Fatal to Prejudice. Before we get into the episode, I wanted to give a few updates. As of now, the podcast is going live on YouTube in addition to the current mediums. So if you would consider going over to YouTube and subscribing to the podcast there, that would be greatly appreciated. I have connected the channel to my link tree that's in the description of this episode and all the other episodes, so you can get there with just a couple of clicks. Next, I want to thank everyone who has supported this podcast so far. Thank you to all the guests who have taken the time to come out and record an episode and having the courage to share their story with not just me, but having it recorded and posted online for others to listen to. And one final thank you to all the people who have supported me so far. My sound dude in the background who is the secret sauce to making all this happen. The people who have given me ideas such as naming the podcast, topics of discussion, and other little ideas that have not come to fruition yet. All of you know who you are. I'd love to keep doing this on a regular basis and already plan to do so, but without your support, it doesn't happen. So please consider downloading episodes, subscribing and watching on YouTube, dropping a rating and a review on Apple and Spotify. Please give it a five stars and becoming a Patreon. Uh, and lastly, sharing this with all the people that you know. If being a guest interests you, please contact me through my email. Now, let's get into the episode. Hey, welcome into episode 10, um, 10th episode, pretty big milestone. Thank you for coming along the way and joining me for this. I really appreciate it. Uh, today I got my friend Kelsey in, um, we've been friends for a couple of years now. Mm -hmm. uh, I know her through her husband, Patrick. Uh, we've been friends for a few years, just kind of hanging out, having drinks, playing board games, doing all kinds of fun stuff. So that welcome back in. of a Kroger. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> if Patrick comes in, I'll, I'll mention that story. <laughs> <laughs> but welcome in Kelsey. Thanks. Thanks for being here. Happy to be here. Yeah. So, um, let's just dive right into okay. it. Um, where, where'd you grow up? So I grew up in Wadsworth, Ohio. It is a small ish town, uh, outside of Akron. Um, had a pretty good childhood. Um, parents did get divorced when I was nine. Um, and then, but I was really lucky. They lived seven minutes apart and were both super involved. So for having divorced parents, they were both really great. Also, they would have killed each other if they would have stayed married. So I'm <laughs> thrilled that they separated. Um, went, you know, did all 12 years at the same school district and pretty picturesque childhood, I guess, if you will. Yeah. So, I mean, it sounds like normal, I guess. Yeah, but it was. A no it was a no I mean, outside of the divorce, it was a pretty normal childhood. Yeah. So when let's like go into that about yeah. your parents' divorce, like what? Uh, you don't have to give like details on like why they divorced, yeah. but when you you said you were nine, yeah. What What was your life like before that, and then during, and then what happened after? Did you realize it? So I don't honestly remember a whole lot before my folks separated. So they separated when I was eight, divorced when I was nine. And I distinctly remember the day that they told us that, you know, that daddy was moving out. It was after the Memorial Day parade in Little Wadsworth. And they <laughs> sat us down in the family room and they, you know, said, I, I don't remember the exact words, but like my mom was really upset and crying and um, you know, dad stayed pretty even keel the whole time and that, you know, daddy was moving out and mommy and daddy didn't love each other anymore. And 
and my mom had a lot of anger because dad wanted the divorce mom didn't so there was a lot of feelings around that um I remember going and getting I had a little tea set you know like little <laughs> girls play with and I remember going and getting like a cup and a saucer and like one set I was like dad you're gonna need dishes in your new house I mean <laughs> like the plate was like three and a half inches wide like I don't know what my eight-year-old self thought that he was gonna do with this plate but you know I remember doing that and then they had a really ugly divorce uh, it was really it was really ugly and lots of court visits and mediation visits and you know who a lot of fighting over custody and finances and it was really pretty ugly for about eight years um, between them but uh, and in that time dad was married to wife number three and uh, that was not a pleasant relationship for anybody Um, and then after he and wife number three divorced then things like magically got better between them and probably my senior year of high school my brother was a freshman like we could like go to events with both parents versus before we'd have to you know strategically plan when was mom going to be there and then when was dad going to be there or whatever and my senior like the best story I have is I was in choir and our choir was so big and our auditorium was small so we got so many family tickets per concert we got four and that my choir teacher would do assigned seats so I had to go to her my freshman year and say I know that we have four seats, but can I have two on one side of the theater and two on the other side of the theater? Because my parents were so bad that they couldn't play nice to sit next to each other at a choir concert. Um, So we did that and it worked just fine. And, you know, we did that for three years. And then my senior year, they were finally at the spot where they could be civil and be in the same spot. And I remember getting to go to my choir teacher and say, you don't have to separate them this year. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) could sit together. And she was like, really? Are you sure? And yeah. So you know, that was, it was nice. Um, and I mean, now they all get together, we can all get together and kind of like one big happy family, which is really nice. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. That's, it's good that it didn't take them that long to really like, I guess, get out of their own ways. Eh, and it's like nine years. Yeah. But now, I mean, we're at the point where, I mean, like I said, they, we all can get together for family events and it's not weird. And, you know, dad's married again and, and she and, you know, my stepmom and my mom get along and play words with friends with each other. And it's, you know, a really very unique and cool thing that I get to have all of my divorced parents together for family functions. So it's pretty cool. Yeah, that definitely is unique because you don't really hear about that mm-hmm. too frequently. No. I mean, um, like my parents both stayed at my house. Uh, what last family event was it? Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving, like my dad and stepmom came in from out of town and were staying with us. And my mom and stepdad came down for the night and also stayed with us. So, I mean, they shared a bathroom for a night and we're down the hall from each other. And like it was a little, you know, awkward at first, but then it's just it's fine and everyone can get along and it's great. That is awesome. Yeah. It, it Just to relate, like it's taken my parents, I think, um, until the past like two three four years yeah to actually like be in the same house as each other yeah <laughs> yeah and we i mean i've been lucky enough that they've been doing that comfortably since i was 18 so you know it's been almost 15 years now that they've been able to be cordial and be in the same spot and it just makes life infinitely easier yeah definitely um 
so like what else uh happened through school uh any like fun fun stories or anything that shaped you to be who you are today um i was a giant band nerd i was in like anything musical related that you could i mean i was in show choir and band and regular choir and all the, the plays and big giant music nerd um and that really shaped like who I was, you know, academically, I'm pretty smart. So school wasn't really ever very hard. And so I spent a lot of my time and energy doing different things. My favorite part of high school was marching band. I loved that. I was the field commander the last two years, which was a big deal. And I'm bossy and like to be in charge. So that role <laughs> came as a surprise to no one. Um, and that kind of really shaped, you know, that I like leadership and I like being in those types of roles. So that was that was fun. I don't have any good one time at band camp stories, though. (laughs) Besides, we were always very hot and sweaty. And one year it was so hot and miserable that they actually canceled because we would have football camp and band camp the same weeks. And they actually canceled football practice, but we did not cancel band practice. So there, oh, there was a, there was a lot of like, oh, I'm sorry, you football players, you can't play. Well, it looks like we're still out doing our thing while you guys are sitting in the AC doing nothing. So it was a little <laughs> like dig at them that year, but it was good. It was a good time. I don't imagine you had to like dress up for that, but did you have to dress no. up in the band clothes? No, oh, no, 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 no. That would have been terrible. Oh my God, no, we would have died. I mean, people were like fainting already when we were in shorts and tank tops. So it's middle of usually band camp was timed like first week of august so it's just like you just want to die outside hot and oh. it was miserable who thinks that's a good idea well you have to do it in enough time to start for because like your first football games end of september i mean it's usually the first week of school so you have to do at least a good two to four weeks before that to have a solid show because you don't have the time once school starts to have hours and hours of band practice so you got to have four to six songs down and ready to go prior to school starting and you learn a lot of those at band camp yeah that's fair okay um (laughs) (laughs) what what's a field commander so the field commander depending on what you do at your high school there's a couple different roles so in my high school it was the person who stood in front of the band and conducted everybody so I was the one who was leading the band on the field, conducting. In some high schools, it's the person that, like, has the baton and throws the baton around. Um, okay. I did not do that. I actually I actually conducted the band and was in charge and got to <laughs> use a, a whistle and yell at a lot of people. It was fun. So, like, did you just do that or did you play instruments as so well? So I did that during marching season. And then once we hit concert season, I played the clarinet. Okay. So... And you can't become a field commander until your junior year. So I was regular old clarinet player the first two years. And then you have to audition to become field commander. And so I did that, got it, and then was it junior and senior year. Interesting. So, okay. Big giant nerd over here. <laughs> did, did you continue into like college? Uh, doing I didn't band play anything or? in college. Um in addition to all the music things I did, I did dance for 16 years. I took ballet for 16 years. Um, and once I kind of hit sophomore, junior year, it, you either were going in strict dance and competition and dancing six, seven days a week, or you're doing other things. And my dance teacher, Miss Shannon, was amazing and said, you know, Kelsey, I don't think you're going to be a professional dancer. <laughs> and I said, you know, she's like, you're really good and I know you love it. And it's, you know, but I, I just don't think that this is, if you're not going to do this for a profession, 
you know, I think there's other things you could do because at that time I was doing, you know, band was twice a week, dance was twice a week. I was doing the plays. So I was after school until 530 every night. Plus you had to do homework and I was in honors classes. And so I just was, I mean, slammed 24 seven. And so once I finally realized, you know, hey, I'm, I'm not going to do this like as a job. I was able to kind of take that off my plate and then pursue more things in high school. So once I got to college, nursing school, which is very hard and makes you want to kill yourself a little bit. Um, but they had a dance team, which wasn't cheerleading and, you know, they weren't a bunch of uh, sluts. So that was good. Um, but it was uh, something I got to do and I got to dance. You know, we did practice two nights a week or so and I got to get back into that. And in that role, um, myself and another girl were the captains of the dance team. So that was another leadership role. But I love dancing. Like, it's so fun. It's my favorite thing to do. And so I really miss it. I need to get back into it as an adult. But I did that through college um, instead of doing anything music, musically. Okay. What was, like, I guess, what's the stem of loving dancing so much, I guess? I just, like, uh, my mom is a music teacher. Okay. So we're always around dance and bands and music and all things kind of fine arts related with the exception of actual art. Um, I'm a very terrible drawer painter. I'm great at sick drawings and that's about it. Um, <laughs> but I just, we, my brother and I both just love performing and that was our jam. And that was what we just, like that was our sport. That was what we put hours and hours of our time in and worked really hard for was doing that and just performing and dances. It's a great form of exercise and it's just, it's just fun. Like for me, I just, I love it. So, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. So you mentioned you have a brother. What was it like growing up with a uh, sibling? John, John. So he's, he's three or Jonathan. He's three years younger than me. He is a, he's a hoot. He, you know, I really felt like with my parents divorce, they were so focused at, fighting with each other that they didn't forget to parent us but like there was a little bit of that missing because they were so mad at each other so I felt like I had to really kind of be his a more mom figure from a really young age and so I've kind of always had that motherly sort of you know I gotta take care of him sort of thing but he's a who he keeps me on my toes and he uh <laughs> he's sassy and everyone everyone loves Jonathan he walks in and he's always <laughs> the life of the party and everyone knows, oh, you know, oh, my God, I love Jonathan. And he's just, he's fun. And he's a great brother. And he's just, he definitely keeps uh, everything feisty. So. I've, I've met John John. Um, I think I've seen him like three times yeah. or so. D yeah. He's accurately <laughs> described. <laughs> he is the life of the party. Yes. Everyone knows he's there. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so he's and he's so sweet and, you know, always looking out for other people and we're both givers. So we have that very similar personality trait and, you know, it's good growing up with them. And, you know, we, I think we pretty much hated each other until high school. Um, I'll never forget, you know, so he was a freshman and I was a senior and it's our first day. It's his first day of high school. And by that point I was driving. And so I would drive us to and from school. And we get in the car. I drove a really rocking red Honda Civic. It was great. And we're driving home. And I said, all right, you know, what? first day of high school, what'd you learn? He goes, I learned what 69ing was. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, oh, okay. 
And then I was like, it's completely well, unexpected. Right. Like, well, damn, I have to make sure it's like he knows the right thing. I can't have my little brother like thinking that it's something wrong. So I said, well, you know what? What is your understanding of what 69ing is? And he, he told me and I was like, all right, you, you talk to the right person. Like, it's the accurate <laughs> thing. But it was just it was just funny. And that was we loved we, I, he and I drove everywhere together because we were involved in bands and plays and all the same stuff. And we did a lot of singing in the car and harmonizing and just a bunch of, bunch of ridiculous nerd things. And that's what we did. <laughs> that's awesome. I love John John. He's a hoot. Um, so, yeah, you mentioned um, – or is there anything else that you wanted to mention about growing up? Or? I, don't okay. so. I don't have any, like, fun – exciting i mean it was pretty pretty benign <laughs> i guess pretty average yeah pretty normal yeah. okay well it's good though yeah it's good it was a great chat i mean it was a great childhood and i always said i had really great parents so i got a i got a little one now i got maggie she's almost 15 months and so i you know try to learn a lot from my folks and carry that forward hopefully i think i turned out pretty okay so yeah. try and do the same thing yeah that's good um so we'll pause on maggie and oh. we'll let's talk we'll about her a little later yeah um let's let's get to that point yeah. first <laughs> we got a while before she shows up in the picture <laughs> um but nursing school yeah sucks yeah it's really bad where'd you go i went to capital which is this tiny little lutheran school here in columbus and it kicked my ass. It was so hard. Because like I said earlier, you know, high school wasn't super hard for me. And then I got to college and the first year wasn't too bad. But man, I hit that second year and I was like, I don't know if I'm smart. And so <laughs> that was really challenging. And nursing school just makes you think totally differently. And all the nursing questions are like, hey, we're going to give you four correct answers. You have to figure out which answer is the most correct. Oh, Go. that's the worst. All of them. All of them are like that. And so oh, that's the worst. That's the worst. And and, you know, you, you nursing school is a lot of teach to the test because you have to take boards at the end of nursing school. And so it's, it's just so many multiple choice questions and select all that apply questions and different ways of thinking and like, hey, don't fuck this up or you'll kill somebody. So it's like, oh, that's like no pressure or anything. No pressure at no all. No pressure at all. You know, like I, I remember. So you, there's two types of gloves. You have clean gloves and sterile gloves. And sterile gloves are obviously way more particular in how you put them on and what you do with once they're on because you can very easily break sterility. And I remember one of my professors called her DPAT. And I'm in between sophomore and junior year. So, you know, baby nurse. I don't know anything. And I'm practicing putting on my sterile gloves. And she comes over and she just stands on the opposite side of the bedside table where I'm practicing. And I like stop mid procedure and go, what did I do? And she goes, nothing. I go, I, I didn't screw up. And she's like, no, not yet, but you will. So I'm going to stand here until you do. I mean, like that's nursing school. I mean, they're just like, it's ruthless and they, for good reason, but you, I just was a giant ball of anxiety for two years because they're like, yeah, if you don't do this, you're not going to pass boards. And then the last four years was, of your life was for nothing. <laughs> so don't screw that up. That's so nice of them. <laughs> it's terrifying. I mean, it's not only are you like, be, you have to be responsible for this, or if you give this med in your, inaccurately, you could kill someone's kidneys. Or like if you push this IV antibiotic too fast, you could kill someone's ears and they'll be deaf for the rest of their life. So, you know, like don't screw that up. So there's just a lot of pressure on nurses. So is this like a generalized nursing class yeah. or is there like... So nursing, um, when you get your... So I did a, what's called the traditional route. So I got my bachelor's degree in four years. 
and nursing is just one degree. So you become, you get, you graduate okay. with your bachelor's of nursing. You take boards, which everyone takes the same thing, and then um, after that, you kind of can go into your specialties. After that, so for me, I went into pediatric oncology, and then from there, I got three additional certifications on top of my nursing board to help better my practice and my knowledge. So that's kind of the route. You know, if you want to go and do heart stuff and do cardiology, then you work on a cardiology floor and you work on getting additional cardiac certifications. So you kind of find your niche and then go and work there and do more education on that topic. But everyone's nursing degree is generally the same. Okay. And what was, what was the route that you took? A traditional bachelor's degree. So you can do a two-year registered a two-year degree which you can sit for your nursing boards and you become an rn you can also do a four-year degree like i did and have your bachelor's and sit for that same rn degree but a lot of hospitals like here in the columbus area if you want to work at a big hospital like ohio state or ohio health they only accept bachelor's prepared nurses they don't accept the two-year degree so really in this day and age you kind of have to get your bachelor's but what some folks choose to do is go get their RN, they can go work at like an outside the big city hospital or a smaller community hospital, work while they're finishing their bachelor's, and then they have their bachelor's. And there's pluses and minuses to both. I just took the traditional four-year bachelor's degree track because I didn't know any better at that point. So, yeah. Okay. So did you know what you wanted to do the rest mm -hmm. of your life so, once you got that? like my mom tells this really lame story. I was four or five. And we went to visit my great-grandmother, and she's in this awful nursing home. Well, I mean, all, I think all nursing homes are awful, but <laughs> we go to one, and mom – and I don't remember this because I was four, but my mom says as we're walking out, I look at her, and I say, Mom, I'm going to be a nurse, so you never have to go to the home. And she likes to continue to hold me to that. So uh, I don't know if it's a true story or if it's a story that she just tells me. That way I don't ever send her to a nursing home. Um, but that I've it's always been a nurse. I've – I dabbled for a while and thought about being a marine biologist because I like the ocean. And then I realized that was dumb. And then I was going to be a lawyer for a while. But if you ask anybody, I have a horrific memory. So that really wasn't going to be a good track for me. Um, and then it just always came back to being a nurse. So it wasn't really a question ever. That was what I was going to do. And I consider it, you know, a lot of people have careers and what they do for jobs. But like I consider part of who I am is a nurse. So. Okay. And then the specialized track that mm -hmm. you took um what was that so in nursing school i started working as what's called a patient care assistant so they're the person that like they go around and get your vital signs and help you to the bathroom and um do kind of those tasks that don't require the additional knowledge of a nurse like they don't pat they don't administer medications they don't do anything with that um any, they don't really do anything that needs like interpretation their job is to like gather data and then present it to the people who gather the data or who analyze the data and so I did that I worked at Children's here in Columbus and I was in what's called a float role so I went wherever they were short-staffed so I got to go to all the different floors which if you're listening to this and you're in nursing school I highly recommend doing that because you learn very quickly what you like and what you don't like and I was on the um, pediatric cancer floor a lot and fell in love with it. And when it was, you know, close to graduation, I printed out my resume and marched to the manager's office one day when I was at work and was like, 
hey, um, I'm Kelsey and I love your floor and I'm graduating. Um, please hire me. And luckily they did. I came in and did a formal interview and they hired me. And that's where I stayed for the first four years of my nursing career. Wow. Pediatric cancer is. Yeah. That's a rough one. How, how do you fall in love with doing that? So like, here's the thing that people don't get like, you know, you say just like you, you know, you said you say pediatric cancer and people are like, Oh my God, like dying kids. How do you do that? That's so awful. Like, how do you just not cry every day at work? And the difference is kids don't know they're sick in that. Like if I told you, Cam, you got a brain tumor, you're going to die in eight months. You're going to be like, that's a really bad day. I'm going to go cry in my room about that because that's awful. And I'm going to be depressed and I'm going to die. Like, but you tell a five-year-old that they're like, they don't get it. They don't understand what that means. They don't understand the finality of that. When you say you have a brain tumor and they're like, oh, is that, is that why my head hurts? You say, yeah, you know, that's, you know, Timmy, that's why your head hurts. Cause you have, you have a brain tumor in there and they go, oh, is that why mommy and daddy have been crying? Yeah. That's why mommy and daddy have been crying. Oh, okay. Do I get to go home soon? Or like, can I go play Legos or can I go watch Finding Nemo? I mean, they just like, it, it, they don't have that same finality with it. And so they just want to play. And when, they, and when they're sick, they feel sick and they want to snuggle and they want to watch movies and they want to eat macaroni and cheese all the time. But when they're up and feeling good, man, they're just, they're rocking. They're like, we got to go. We g-. And so, like, for example, I'll never forget, I worked a lot of Christmas Christmases my first few years. And it was all, I had this one kid my first Christmas who um, who, I was taking care of him and giving him his meds at eight o'clock. And I worked 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. the night shift. And, you know, he was at that age where he's like questioning Santa Claus, who's obviously real for anybody listening. And he's like, you know, I'm not home. At home, we have a fireplace. That's how Santa gets in the house. You guys don't have a fireplace here, do you? And I'm like, oh, shit. I'm like, you know, no, we don't have a fireplace here. And he goes, well, how is Santa going to come see me then? Because obviously I'm not home. And I like, how is this going to work? You know, he's trying to twist my arm to fit, you know, see if I'm going to slip up. And I say, you know how And at our hospital, the, the cancer floor is the top floor of the hospital. So we're right underneath the helipad. So you can hear the helicopter when it lands all night long. And I said, you know how the helicopter's up there? And he goes, yeah. And I go, don't you know that Santa comes and he lands his sleigh right there. And while it's not the chimney, we have a really swanky elevator. And so he has to, you know, we have to make do with what we have. But he comes down the elevator and he stops on all the floors that way. And he comes and sees you. But, you know, you got to fall asleep because he doesn't come into little kids' rooms when they're awake. And like, so, I mean, like, that's the fun part about pediatrics is trying to figure out that stuff. And try, how do I make christmas special for this kid whose siblings are at home you know one parent's at home and now he has to do christmas in a hospital room because he feels like garbage because he's in the middle of getting a bone marrow transplant wow that is like it's like happy and sad right like the kids are like some of the happiest people you'd ever meet they are like it's so sad that you know that their life is very much finite compared to and like adults you know the hard the patients that were really challenging for me at that so this time i didn't have any kids 
Um, I'm in my 20s, and the kids that really broke me were the teenagers. Really? Yeah, because they knew they weren't going to prom. They knew they weren't going to graduate. They knew they didn't get to go to college. They knew they didn't get to get asked out by a boy for the spring fling dance. They didn't get to go to football games every Friday night because they were in the hospital getting their chemo. They, you know, when you're a teenager, you're so focused on your looks and your friends and, you know, these, even the boys, you know, they're losing their hair. They're, they look terrible. They're either super swollen from steroids or they're emaciated because they can't eat because of the chemo. And, you know, when you're a teen, uh, uh, the teenage population from like nine or so up through early 20s, um, a cancer called osteosarcoma is pretty prevalent in the pediatric cancer world. It's pretty prevalent. So, you know, folks losing limbs, you know, these teenagers losing their feet, losing their legs, losing their arms, you know, try doing that at 14. So those were always the ones that were really, really hard for me because they, they knew. And there, was, there wasn't anything they could do about it. So they were just mad. You know, I mean, you're an angsty teenager anyway. You know, throw a leukemia right. diagnosis on top of it and say, hey, by the way, you have to be away from your friends and not get to hang out with them. And even when you go home, you're really not going to be able to hang out with them because your immune system's garbage from all the chemo we just gave you. And we can't risk you getting sick because if you get sick, you're probably going to end up back in the hospital and in the ICU. Oh, my God. That is heartbreaking. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I just want to throw in like a side note that I don't really know a whole lot about the medical field. So I'm learning along <laughs> the way. <laughs> it's like my worst subject so this is a fun learning process for me yeah. anyway um what did did you have any of those like make a wish foundation things happening here so at this hospital or they did i worked close? i worked night shift so i didn't get to really see any of the fun stuff oh, like when yeah. the celebrities came or when like the most, the only celebrity that I saw there, I had come in to work a 16 hour shift, which meant that I came in at 3 p.m. and left at 7 a.m. Um, yeah, it's terrible. And, but there was some Victoria's Secret model that like I watched walk past me and I was like, she doesn't look very happy. She should have a nicer face if she's visiting a children's hospital. And I don't remember which one it is because I am not knowledgeable on my Victoria's Secret models, but like I didn't get to see any of that fun stuff. I got to hear about it when I would come in. They would say, oh my God, I did, I take that back. I did. So we had one little boy and through some, and I don't remember how this connection happened, but his nickname was Iron Man. You know, a lot of the kids, they would, that they would idolize Superman or Batman or one of the superheroes to like get through the cancer in their journey. And his was Iron Man. And somehow like he got connected with Robert Downing Jr. And wow. like, I, one of the nights I was working, Robert Downing Jr. called him and like talked to him on the phone. And I was like, you have you have to put me on speakerphone. I have to like be able to say hi to him, which, you know, like I got, to, so that, that was really cool. Um, and he was such a good, I mean, he was so good to this sweet little boy and, you know, so I got to like, there were little things, but I didn't get nearly as much as the day shifters did. But, you know, a lot of the kids did get to do the Make-A-Wish stuff and it was, and it was great for the most part, but, you know, some of it was really hard because I had a lot of kids that didn't end up getting to go because they were too sick. Yeah. And that was always like real, a big bummer. When that that is such a bummer. Yeah. And they always tried to reschedule it, you know, as best they could. And the patients I did have that went on it, I mean, those Make-A-Wish folks, like, they went all out. They just really, these kids and families had trips of a lifetime. So it was it was really awesome to, like, hear about it and, and that kind of stuff. That's amazing that, yeah. you know, they got they get to do all that, mm -hmm. um, you know. the Have you seen, 
I think there was video circulating like a couple of years ago. This guy just dressing up as Batman mm-hmm. and he did the Batman voice yeah. and he went to like all the hospitals. Yep. That guy. Like, yeah. I love that guy. Whoever oh, yeah. you are, hero. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and the kids, I mean, that's the fun part about kids, right? You know, Batman walks in and, <gasps> yeah. Mommy, that's Batman. Batman's here. <laughs> oh my God, it's Batman. And, do, and they go, Mr. Batman, can you do this? Can you, can you fly? We're on the 12th floor. Can you just jump out the window and fly? That'd be so cool. I mean, so it's just the, when you do get to be part of that and, and see yeah. these kids just, they just light up over the smallest things and want, like, I had, um, on my badge since I work night shift, you needed to have a, a little flashlight. And if you were if you were doing it right in the pediatric world, you always had a cool flashlight. So my flashlights were always they make little Lego people and their oh, feet yeah. and their feet are flashlights. So I always had one of those because you have to be able to like, how can I easily distract this kid from doing whatever it is that I don't want them to do? And you know, but it was just you and you know, you got to wear the fun scrubs and you got to wear SpongeBob and you got to do all those things and you had when my husband and I first met, he always made fun of me because I was always very up to date on the children's movies. And he's like, aren't you a grown up? Like, why do you know this? And I'm like, because if I go into my nine year old patient's room and I don't know who Moana is, or I don't know who Frozen, like what the characters in Frozen are, like I'm chopped liver. I obviously have no idea what's happening in my life. You know, I, I remember one night I had this 11 year old girl who was such a pain in the ass. God love her, but she was. And she refused to take her meds. And I fought with her for like over an hour and her mom was no help. And so finally, and she loved Frozen. That was her jam. So finally I was like, if I sing, let it go with you. Will you take your medicine? And she looked at me and she was like, you don't know all the words to let it go. And I'm like, watch me. (laughs) And we did. We sang, let it go together. She thought it was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And she took her pills right after, but it was an hour of fighting to do that. So you like, that's the fun part about pediatrics is like I might have a two-year-old in one room, but then I have an 11-year-old in another room, and then I have an 18-year-old, and then I have a four-day-old. So I have to be able to provide the same level of nursing care to all those different developmental ages, as well as to their parents, their grandparents, their siblings, and whatever developmental level they're at. You know, I could have parents that are PhDs and very intelligent, and I can you know, explain things too. And I have parents that don't know how to read. So I have to figure out, okay, well, this patient's going home and mom and dad don't read and the patient's three and definitely doesn't read. So how do I teach them how to take care of this feeding tube? Or how do I teach them about what they can and can't do in a way that they're going to remember because they can't reference the papers that I have because they can't read. So it's just, it's very, you get to do a lot of teaching and a lot of thinking and it's, you know, I love that part of pediatrics. Um, I just want to take another quick side note about something you said a second ago. There's nothing wrong with being up to date on the kids' movies. Yeah, I'll say that right now. Nothing. They're all wonderful. Yeah, they're always amazing. They're great. Disney says, does such a great job. And yeah. Pixar and whatever, all the other ones. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is there... So I know that you've also, like, taken care of adults. Mm-hmm. Is there... Was there, like, a different level of... I guess mindset that you have to go in with like on the kids like you got to mm-hmm. be like you got a level set at oh these are you know under 18 yeah um patients blah blah blah, and then yeah. you go in adults like you can be just kind of i guess in a similar mindset through the whole thing yeah so it's really it's 
it's really different. And I didn't anticipate it being as hard as it was. So I went from, uh, I worked at Children's here. I did a year of travel nursing out in California, but I did the same, you know, pediatric oncology, hematology, bone marrow transplant floors. And when I came back, I got a job at Ohio State, not only working with adult cancer patients, but also working as a case manager, which is a whole different ballgame than bedside nursing. And I'll never forget, you know, my first couple weeks, um, one of the things that case managers do is a lot of education uh, to patients. And um, a lot of patients who receive chemotherapy have something called central lines. So those are, you know, if you've seen cancer patients, sometimes they have tubes coming out of their chest. Um, and those are to receive their chemotherapies because they're they need more permanent IVs that go into really, really big veins because we're essentially infusing poison into you. And poison is much better infused into giant veins than it is into teeny tiny hand veins. So I was talking to one of my patients about his line and how he was going to care for it at home. And I called it his tubi because in pediatrics, when I'm talking to my four-year-old, like, uh, you know, show me your tubi, let me see your sticker, which is the, the clear plastic part that goes over the line to protect it. But, you know, you talk about tubies and stickers and where's your belly and those, those sorts of things. And I, this patient, I don't know, he was probably early 30s and like, <laughs> said something about his, his tubi. And I didn't even think about it until he like looked at me funny and I go, oh my God. I said, you're, you're a central line on your chest. I'm so sorry. I've been a pediatric nurse for like six years. And then he just laughed and he was like, that makes a lot more sense. I was wondering why you were calling it my 2B. <laughs> so like just adjusting how I spoke to adults was very different. Um, and then the other hard part I had, which I had a, a social worker, coworker, um, who's actually a still a very, very dear friend of mine now who taught me so much about everything. And, um, but I had a really hard time with people that chose to not do what they're supposed to do. Because if I have a seven-year-old who doesn't want to take their meds because they are seven and they're mad, I get I go get five of my friends and we hold you down because this is your chemo and you have to have it in order to keep your cancer at bay. So it sucks, but here you go. But my 55-year-old patient doesn't have to do that. They can be like, yeah, I don't want to take that. Or yeah, I don't want to come in to get my chemo. Or yeah, I don't want to, yeah, I don't, you know. And so that was really hard for me because I'd be like, you're going to die. If you leave this hospital right now and go do Lord knows whatever you're going to do, you're going to die. And they'd be like, yep, see ya, deuces. And so that was a really hard transition for me. And my my friend told me, she's like, you know, Kelsey, adults can make their own decisions. Doesn't mean they're good decisions, but they are entitled to make their own decisions. And that was just like a big wake up call for me because I never had to deal with that. My patients before, like suck it up buttercup you gotta take your meds i will hold you down and we will do this but you can't really do that to a 35 year old so that was a big big change and transition for me but it's still in a way to me adults were sadder because they did know you know you tell them like hey and my team that i was on when i started at osu was newly diagnosed leukemia and recently relapsed acute leukemia and acute leukemia for those that don't know it's not a great one to get. I mean, it's one of those you get it and you are sick. You are possibly in the ICU. You have to start chemo immediately. You're hospitalized for four to six weeks. I mean, it's a bad day. Um, and so, you know, you have these patients that are, were, quote, fine, and then they show up in the hospital and they're not. And we're telling them, hey, you have AML and hey, like the five-year survival on this is like, I don't know, like 62%. So, and like you have to get chemo right now or you're going to die. And oh, by the way, once we start this chemo, you have to be in the hospital for four to six weeks. So I know that you were like working and had a job, but yeah, you're going to have to quit that. Hope you signed up for short-term or long-term disability 
And I know that you're a single parent and you're working to support your kids, but you know, got to figure that out now. And it's just, there was a lot of things in adults that I didn't really have to deal with with kids. So it was just, is different. Yeah. That like, that's even more heartbreaking that they're going to have to quit their jobs mm-hmm. and you... caring for their family or whoever else. Yeah. And you like, have like immediately. Like, it's not like, oh, go home and, like, figure it out for a couple of days and come back and we'll do surgery next week. It's like, you have to start now. Your platelets are so low that you could have a spontaneous bleed at any time. And that could be in your brain or that could – and then you could have a stroke and then you could die or be paralyzed for the rest of your life or be a vegetable. So, like, you know, it was, it was, it was bad. And then, you know, you are told that you have – cancer and you don't hear anything really for the first few days and so it was a lot of having to review the same information with patients several times over their first couple weeks because I mean you're so they're so sick and your family's so shell-shocked that you're not really understanding things so it was and you were they were usually really sick those first couple weeks too so just a lot of education a lot of re-education and teaching things in in a way that people understood and you know it was just it was hard that, that is hard that's very difficult yeah um what's it i guess what's it like going in for a 12-hour shift mm-hmm. overnight for cancer patients that are adults like what what else do you have to deal with so when i went to osu to deal with the adults um i did case management so it's essentially like everything that you don't do at the bedside so it, it was all during day shift which was a nice change um and it was like teaching people about their new diagnosis or teaching them about what they're going to have to do at home or like let's say that it was a patient who was 82 and lived alone and they were in the hospital for a long time and they got really weak and they were going to need some physical therapy when they got home so it's okay well do we have someone come to the house and do that or do you have the support to go to a physical therapy place and do it you know, what's your support like? Do you have someone that can come stay with you? Do you not? If you don't, what does that look like? Are you on any IV antibiotics? How do we figure that out? You know, do you do those at home or do you have to go to a nursing facility? If you have to go to a nursing facility or even do them at home, does your insurance cover that? Do they not? Sometimes folks would have really high out-of-pockets to do things that are really high out-of-pocket costs at home. So we couldn't, that wasn't an option for them. If I say, hey, you have to go home on IV vancomycin for four weeks, but your cost is $600 a week and you make $21,000 a year, like you don't have that option. So then it's like, well, your other option is going to what your insurance does cover and that's a nursing home. So people would have to go to a nursing home for six weeks because they couldn't afford to do the medicine at home. Oh my God. So it was a lot of stuff that I, they did a 32 minute lecture on in my four years of school. And so it was just stuff that I'd never done and I'd never been taught and I had to learn and you know, I learned a lot about insurance and how broken the healthcare system is and and how to kind of work the system a little bit. And I'll, you quickly realize that people have no idea what their health insurance is and what it means and what it doesn't mean and what the cost of things are. And it's just it's a it's a lot of education and a lot of figuring stuff out and a lot of really hard conversations when they're like, wait, what do you mean that I didn't pick a, a Part D plan for Medicare? And it's like, well, you only actually, everybody here, fun fact for everyone listening, uh, if you're over the age of 65 and you're on Medicare, you only get Medicare Part A, which only covers inpatient hospitalization. So that's all that gets covered. If you would like a Part B plan, which is essentially anything outpatient, or you'd like your prescriptions covered, you have to do a Part D as in David plan as well, but you have to elect those. 
Like, if you don't elect them, Medicare is like, all right, guess you don't want that, so we're just going to give you Medicare Part A, and uh, good luck with everything. Oh, my God. So There's... I would have patients who wouldn't realize this until they got sick and came in the hospital and needed all of these antibiotics and all of this extra stuff, and we couldn't get any of it covered because they didn't elect for it. And Medicare is like, yeah, I know you just got cancer, and that's a real bad day. But And I know it's March, but, you know, open enrollment's in November, so you can make a change in November because a, a illness like that is not a life-qualifying event. Married, death, loss of insurance are pretty much the three big ones that you can do to elect a different insurance plan. But getting suddenly ill all of a sudden is not a qualifying life event. Wow. Yep. There's already so many, like, what-ifs when mm -hmm. you get sick and then the, like, shitty health coverage that is provided to anyone just yeah. adds so many more what-ifs. Mm -hmm. That is messed up. Mm-hmm. I had, there was um, one diagnosis, it's called APL of the acute leukemias. It's like kind of the one you, you have to get one, you kind of want to get that one. But there's a, a chemo that they have to go on and you're on it for six months. And after that, you're off of it. There is no financial assistance for it at all. There's just not because it's a super old med and I don't think the drug manufacturer cares. So there's no assistance for it. And it's like anywhere from five to $7,000 a fill. With it, your survivability rate drops anywhere from 10 to 15% if you don't take this oral chemo. Now, APL has a pretty high survival rate. It's like in the 90s, like low to mid-90s, which is pretty good for leukemia. Um, but you have to decide if you don't have the right coverage, do I have to put this on a credit card or take out a personal loan or refinance my house to pay you know, five to $30,000 for this pill? Or do I take the chance that, you know, 80% or 85% is pretty good, but compared to, you know, 95 or 96. So having to have those conversations with people or, you know, Medicare is awful and Medicare prescription plans are awful. And I would sometimes have patients who would need to do oral chemotherapies um, that would cost two or $3,000 a month. And we had no way of knowing if it was going to work until we tried it. And you can't really, like, return meds after you get them filled. So I had patients who would sometimes spend two or $3,000 on pills that may or may not work. And then they didn't work. And they just spent all this money. And, you know, a lot of people over 65 are on fixed incomes. And so it was heartbreaking to have these conversations with people. <laughs> I'm just like... Shocked you asked for a nurse to come on your show. Here I am. Yeah. <laughs> it, like I said, I don't know a whole lot. And I'm just shocked that, like, there's so much out there. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is another what if, right? Yeah. That, you know, oh, we're, we're the nurses, doctors, we're going to try. What if this one works? Mm -hmm. And it's unfortunate that it costs thousands and thousands of dollars. Mm -hmm. But what if it works? And then yeah. if it doesn't well, that sucks. Here, let's try another one. Right. And it was really hard. It was really hard. Like I was in my role and, and the social workers did, you know, we were in very similar roles, kind of a liaison between the patient and the doctor. And the doctor would be like, well, we need to do this med. We need to do drug A. It's going to it's gonna cure them. And I go, you know, you know, with what percentage can you actually say that? They're like, eh, well, I mean, you know, it's probably going to work. And I go, okay, well, my patient's going to empty their life savings buying this, this pill. 
So you have to understand this isn't just a like, oh, let's just try it and see if it works thing. So, I mean, it was challenging to go in between the physician and the patient, you know, and then the doc would get mad. Well, why is it $3,000? And why is it that meds are so expensive? And, you know, what this healthcare system is broken and da, 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 da. And it's like, yes, yes to all of that. But I can't fix that right now. And Sue needs to decide if she's taking her pills or not. So, you know, those are really just another hard part is there are a lot of patient assistant programs out there. A ton of them and if you qualify you can get free drug and it's amazing unless you are on a government funded program which is medicare so none of my medicare patients were ever able to apply for any patient assistance things so if i had a patient who was 45 with the same diagnosis as my 65 year old my 45 year old i could get free drug but i couldn't do that for my 65 year old because they were on medicare that's messed up yep welcome what? to healthcare in america folks what who makes that decision that if you're on government assisted health care i imagine a lot of old white people that live in dc make those decisions male that's particularly messed that's messed up mm -hmm. the yeah the healthcare system here is it's <laughs> so bad it is awful i could go on for hours about how bad it is but yes it's awful oh please continue oh, yeah. with other stories <laughs> on how terrible our healthcare oh, system it's is so bad it's just maybe someone will listen someday and like figure it out it's just, it's so, and I don't have the right answer. And I, I don't, I don't have the right answer, you know, and I'm not overly well-versed in all of the different types of health plans that, you know, are, are out throughout the world, but I just know this isn't working. This is, you shouldn't have to go bankrupt to get the care that you need. You shouldn't have to decide if I need, if, you know, if you, one hospitalization is going to bankrupt you for the rest of your life. Like that shouldn't be something that you have to figure out and that's and it's awful that shouldn't it just it just breaks your heart and the you know it's and it always it not always but if you ask any adult cancer nurse the patient population that it always happens to are people in the first year of retirement always these people work 30 40 years doing xyz they're in their first year or two of retirement and so excited to go do all the things that they've been saving for and they get sick and they spend their retirement being sick and it's awful and it's so sad. So if you take one thing away from the podcast, like don't wait until retirement. I mean, definitely save for retirement and plan to live until you're a hundred. You should definitely do that. But like cancer has taught me and I know it's cliche, but it's, it's the live every day thing. I mean, life is so short and oh, you yeah. never know when it's going to be over and, and you're same thing with your loved ones. So it's the, you know, don't be mad very long and and tell the ones that you love that you love them and and spend time how you want to spend time because you don't know when it's over and it's it's sad and cliche but like that's that's what being a cancer nurse has taught me that's what you know all of this has taught me and so that's my how i try to live my life and how i try to tell my friends and and family to live theirs and yeah it's my sappy moment for the for the podcast <laughs> no it's good like that's that's real though yeah like that i didn't know that stat that it was like first year to less than five years into retirement and people get sick yeah and i don't like i don't know what the official like you know number is but that's what it always seemed like every you know it's these patients that were in that first year or two of retirement and they and uh, i mean just any adult cancer nurse you talk to would, would say a large percentage of the patients that we took care of were in that you know that 50 to 65 70 age range and it was just so 
sad to watch them. I'm supposed to send my saving. I'm supposed to spend my savings on going to Europe, not on buying chemotherapy to try and live through whatever diagnosis I just got. Right. Uh, that's yeah. Live your life. <laughs> yeah, for real. Like, just do it. Like, it's you only live once. You only. I mean, you know, tell your people that you love them and and you cherish them and you want to spend time with them and you know, stop scrolling mindlessly on social media because it doesn't mean anything and. Yeah, I don't know. Do the things that you love. Yeah, do the things that you love and screw everything else. <laughs> um, so speaking of that yeah. and like connecting it to nursing, you said you were a travel nurse. Yep. For one year. A little less than a year. Yeah. A little less than a year. Yep. Okay. So what you still did the whole cancer mm-hmm. treatment thing? Still did the whole can- the kids cancer. You know, the nursing part wasn't very different out in California. That part was pretty, pretty much the same. Um, the hardest part I had was, you know, I left a unit where I had been for four years. I was a charge nurse. I was, I think one of the, like, you know, baby nurses would come and by baby nurses, I mean, young nurses on the floor who weren't very experienced, um, you know, come to me with questions and, and then, you know, I get dropped in this place where no one knows you. No one cares that you've been a nurse for four years. No one cares that you were a charge nurse of a 40-bed unit. Like, they're like, I don't know who you are. I'm protective of my patients. You're probably an idiot. So, like, don't kill anybody. And <laughs> here's some easy patients to not screw it up. Until they got to know you and got to realize, like, oh, you're not a complete idiot. Like, you do actually know what you're talking about. So that was the hardest part of travel nursing for me is just, like, having to reprove myself. Like, hey, guys, I actually kind of know what I'm talking about. This isn't the first time I've taken care of a septic patient. Um, I'm pretty sure they're going to go to the ICU. So like, can we do something about it? You know, and kind of gaining the trust of my, of my coworkers out in California. So that was, that was a, a big, probably the biggest challenge I had with it. And we had planned, my husband and I, you know, had gone together and our plan was that we were going to go do it for three to four years and we were going to travel all over the country and it was going to be amazing. And, and I am a very type A anxious person and travel nursing is you got to be ready to do stuff on the fly, like constantly. Uh, you don't know what your next assignment is, where you're going to live, what unit you're going to work on, what shift you're going to work on, where you're going to be, what you're going to get paid until like two and a half, three weeks before you change your assignment. And your assignments are about 12 weeks long on average. So you have to decide all of that in like two weeks. And it was super str- And to the cities that you don't know, and trying to find short-term housing that wasn't a million dollars, that was in a semi-safe area of town, and making sure that you were making enough money that it was like still financially a smart decision to go somewhere. It was just really, it was, it, my anxiety did not do well. And we ended up moving home after about 11 months. And the big moment for me, I remember I was just literally having a panic attack and, and you know, sitting on the couch crying at two in the morning because... I just couldn't handle the stress. And and my husband looked at me and said, I can't watch you do this anymore. He's like, you are such a mess and you don't have to be. Let's go home. And it was the first, it was like, I needed his permission to say like, it's okay that you're not doing good at this to like, but, and for me, it felt like a failure because I was like, we were going to go do all these things and I was going to be this badass travel nurse and it was gonna be amazing. And we were going to go to Seattle and Colorado and California and, wherever else we were going to wander off to Alaska and and we didn't get to go do any of those things because I couldn't I couldn't handle the anxiety it just it stressed me out and so that while I'm 
so thrilled that I got to do it because we had an amazing year in San Francisco. You know, it it really felt like a failure to me because I, I couldn't work past the anxiety of, of living in that like last minute environment. And it took me a long time to realize like it wasn't a failure. It's just that role was not for you. You were not meant to be, <laughs> to be a travel <laughs> nurse. So, you know, and, and especially with like the assignments right now, Patrick and I joke, my husband and I joke all the time, like, you sure you don't want to go do some travel nursing and make eight grand a week for, you know, doing X, Y, Z. And there are some weeks where I really debate, like, eh, I could probably maybe sort of make it work. But, you know, it was just, it was, it was a really interesting time of my life, but it was really the first time that I had kind of felt like a failure professionally. Yeah. You shouldn't think of it as a failure. You tried it. You didn't like it. Yeah. It didn't work out. Yeah. But I'm crazy type A overachiever. So like, like to not be doing the original plan that we had thought we were going to do was really emotionally very hard for me to accept. You got through it. <laughs> yeah. It was a great learning experience. You know, it took a few months for me to realize all the positive things that came from it. But, you know, it was that was that was travel nursing for me. Yeah, that does not sound like fun for me at all. You know, and I met a couple girls who they and it was great for them. They were single. They were able to just, you know, rent a room and they were super laid back and they're like, yeah, whatever. And and they and their personality was perfect for it. And they loved it. And my personality was not. It was not a good fit. But I'm thrilled that I did it. And like without my husband, I wouldn't have gone to do it because I'm a big chicken and I wouldn't have gone to do it by myself. And we had we'd only been dating Oh God, I don't like seven months, eight months. And I was like, Hey, I want to quit my job and do travel nursing. What do you think? And like, without dropping a beat, he's like, let's go. Cause he could work remote. He could work from anywhere. He's like, I need Wi-Fi and a place to put a desk. And so we did. I mean, he's the reason why we went and did it. He dropped everything, moved from this swanky loft apartment that was, you know, his, his bachelor man pad and <laughs> had to give it up because he was following a girl to California. And, you know, I wouldn't have done it without him. It's amazing. Yeah. It's one good thing he's done. Oh, he's done a lot of good things. <laughs> no, he's a good husband. I just have to throw like one jab. One jab at him. At him. Yeah. That's fine. You can throw one jab at him. But no, he's, I mean, he's the most supportive person ever. Yeah. So. Um, when, How old were you when you were doing this? Like that year? 26. 26 to 27. Oh, yeah. So that was way early on. Yeah. Yeah, we did. We met in July. We started talking about travel nursing like January, February ish, and I quit my job at Children's in May, and we moved in June. So yeah, less than less than a year, and we <laughs> packed up all. We packed both of our homes and put it in a storage unit, and packed up the Kia Sorento and a U-Haul, and drove across country. It was crazy. That's quite the that's quite the change. Yeah, <laughs> that's a rapid change. Well, and that was us moving in together too, because yeah. we hadn't lit, you know, we hadn't lived together yet. And so, not only are we packing up everything, moving into a tiny storage unit, moving somewhere we don't know, in an apartment we didn't pick out. But here we go, and we're moving in together. Did the travel nursing company pick out the apartment? So or? I did three assignments, and the first assignment they picked the housing. So okay. it was a fine apartment. It was it wasn't anything terrible it wasn't anything beautiful um 
but it was fine but after that we learned like no we were both too much control freaks to let somebody else pick our housing like we would like to pick our housing so we did that after which was a little more stressful because we had to figure it out but um we got to pick where we wanted to live so it helped a little bit we okay. paid a little bit more for it but it was a great i mean god we paid thirty four hundred dollars a month plus three hundred dollars a month for parking for one car oh my god for 600 square feet oh my god yeah it was so expensive uh, and that was a few years ago and that was in gotten more expensive yeah that was in that was in 2016 so that was five years ago oh my god yeah i don't even want to know what that apartment would be now i'm sure six thousand some stupid number but that is ridiculous yeah californians i don't know how you do it bunch of california princesses <laughs> bunch of crazy people um so i want to like switch it over to the travel subject okay um to kind of go off of the travel nursing yeah. what let's let's hear about your traveling like in general yeah like all the traveling general, i've done all the tra- all the travel that you've loved you've hated the best the worst so the best we'll start with the worst the worst trip i ever went on well, it was with my ex who he and I traveled a ton and we traveled very well together. I mean, we traveled, you know, three or four times a year at a really great, it was a very positive part of our relationship. But this one trip, <laughs> it was like a, I don't know, we're gone about a week and we drove to Gettysburg. And then from Gettysburg, we drove to Atlantic City. Then coming back, we stopped in Philly and then we came home. So on the way, so drive, first of all, driving across the state of Pennsylvania makes you want to just cry inside. It's the worst. It's the worst. And it takes forever. So we get to Gettysburg, which is pretty cool. And we're, you know, doing the, there's a car tour you can do. So we were doing that. And all of a sudden I get sick, like vomiting sick. And I proceed to have one direction or the other for the next 24 hours, which is very unfortunate because we had to drive from Gettysburg to Atlantic City, which we had to do because my boyfriend at the time was at a, I forget if he was presenting or if he was just attending this conference. So like we had to go. And so we stopped, I'm pretty sure every like 32 minutes on this drive for me to either puke or shit. It was terrible. Never get a stomach flu on a car ride. And by the time we got to Atlantic City, I was like, just, just, there was a hospital across the street i'm like just take me i'm gonna die (laughs) just i and he and my ex-boyfriend was an er nurse and he's like you're fine i can i can hydrate you and you don't need that we're we're not going to the er and i'm like please just take me i'm just i'm dying i just threw up in the parking lot like please just let me go to the (laughs) er and he wouldn't do it he's like no we're not doing so i obviously survived the night but it was terrible and atlantic city is so sad and dreary we were also there in like february it was awful it was awful timing and it was sad and gross and dirty and terrible and that was pretty bad so that's probably the worst trip i went on uh the best trip was definitely my honeymoon we went to prague and we went to croatia it was amazing if you have the chance to go to either you definitely should um and i love travel and i love experiencing new things and trying to get off the beaten path my favorite thing to do um on a on a trip is to do a food tour because while that might seem a little touristy if you like find the right one 
you get to try a bunch of places that you probably wouldn't have tried previously. And usually while you're walking to and from the places, they're like, oh, hey, I know we're going to go to this restaurant down the street. But if you have time later and you need to grab a sandwich or you are really into coffee, like go try this place. It's really good. And so every food tour I've been on both, you know, here in the U.S. and abroad has just been awesome. And we went on one in Prague and, and my husband prior to was a little, eh, I don't know if this is going to be good. Like it's going to be touristy, like meh. <laughs> and we both agreed like it was our, it was one of our favorite things we did on that trip. I mean, cause it was five hours. We got to try all these different foods and like the, at these really like quintessential places and you just learn about the city as you're walking through and you learn about the different places and the history. And it's just, it's always a really good, a really good time. So that's my one thing I like to go do on vacation is go do a food tour. That sounds awesome. I've never done that. I Oh, you got everywhere you go, that. you got to do it. It's it's so you got to do the research on it to find a good one. But if you find a good one, I have never been on a bad food tour. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah, I like next trip to New York City, I'm going to do that. You have I mean, I love New York City. Oh, I love the food there. It's so fun. And the like so on that terrible trip I talked about, the only positive part of that terrible trip was on our way back, we stopped in Philly just for a night, and we found a, um, it was a a pub crawl through these, like, historic bars in Philly, and it was Christmas time, so everything was beautiful and and whatever, and our tour guide was dressed up as a Revolutionary War soldier, which at first I'm like, this sounds kind of lame. Like, this sounds cheesy. It's kind of cheesy. This guy was phenomenal. He was so good. He stayed in care. And it was like a bunch of people that were our age or so, you know, in their 20s and 30s on this tour. There's like six or eight of us. It's pretty usually pretty small. And he like perfectly stayed in character the entire night, like down to, you know, like if he saw a phone, you know, what is this square? I mean, he just did... When you're at first, you're like, this is going to be really lame. I mean, it was so fun. He was so funny and just kept in character and and told stories of things from how it would have been back in the Revolutionary War. So it's just really, it was, I don't know. It was really cool. It was really fun. So do food tour. They're great. You learn a lot of things. You get to try stuff you wouldn't normally try. It sounds awesome. It's like he was a, like a time traveler. He was. It was amazing. It was, he was amazing. As kitschy as it sounded when we signed up for it. It was awesome. Uh, <laughs> um, I want to go back to like Prague and Croatia. Yeah. Was what? What else did you guys get into? So Prague was amazing, like just the architecture. And over in Europe, I'd only ever been to London and Ireland prior to this trip, which also were amazing. But everything over there is just so old. It's just like when you, I mean, you go to Boston or Philly here and, oh, you know, this was built in 18, whatever. And right. and you go over there and they're like, yeah, cool. That This was built in 1425. And you're just like, it's so hard to conceptualize that over there. Like I'm there, this has been around for five, you know, four or 500 years longer than anything that was built in our country. So that was, I'm a big history nerd. So that was really cool. Um, That's like six generations ago. <laughs> It's cr- and like so when we were in Croatia, um, we had gone. We went with another couple, and we had gone back and forth on like, do we get a rental car? But we ended up finding a driver, which I know sounds very bougie, but it was not that much more than getting a rental car. And this guy was phenomenal. And like, we met. We had our plans every day, and he'd pick us up. And he was this sweet guy who like felt like he was like twelve. He was probably like twenty one or twenty two, 
but just so nice. And he was talking about his family. His family has lived on the same farm for six generations. Wow. Like, that's just where they live. And, and and to hear him talk about, like, that's where they live. And that's how Croatia was, is your families lived there for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. Like, how many, I, I imagine there's very, very few parcels of land here in the U.S. where you see that, you know, past three or four generations. So it was just, and everyone was so sweet and nice. And once you got out of the, you know, the kind of, we stayed in uh, Dubrovnik, which is where a lot of Game of Thrones was was filmed which was cool but it was a little touristy so like once you got out of the touristy part it was just uh, i mean we just like we you know this driver we the one day we were doing wine country which is amazing because i was used to you know napa valley wine country where it's a very not kitschy but you know it's very fancy and these fancy wine rooms and very bougie and all these things it's so bougie but i love it though but it's so bougie but you go to croatia and it's like this guy's barn and like the tasting room is the like basement of the barn. And like, he's like, let me go get some bread that Fred down the street made this morning and like cheese that came from our goats and like just very homey. And this guy, I mean, you're sitting with the winemaker and making it. And and because of our driver, he knew other places to take us that were off the beaten path. So it was just so cool to like meet these people and see what they did and get to taste their wine and taste the differences between California wine and versus Croatian wine, which I mean, not a lot of people drink Croatian wine. I don't think it's not a very bustling industry, but right. it was just fun. It was just a really cool experiences. You know, we stopped at this one little seafood place is literally built into the side of this cliff. <laughs> it's like wine vineyard, wine vineyard, wine vineyard, tiny hole in the wall cliff with a restaurant built into the side of it. What vineyard, 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 vineyard. I mean, just it's stuff that you see in postcards and it's just an awesome trip. Okay. So the wine thing. Yeah. I, I'm starting to learn a little bit about wine. Yeah. What's, is Croatian wine like popular? I don't it, think it so. It seems like there's a few. Like, like I don't think there. that there's probably much of it outside of the general Croatia area. I'm sure you can get it over here, but you know, probably not very much. Um, it was good. I mean, I am also not a wine connoisseur by any means. It was good. It, but I mean, it, it I pr- I'm sure it's not well known for a reason. It was more just the experience of like getting to meet these winemakers and watch what they do and their yeah. passion behind it. And not just, you know, Tara that did the six hour training at whatever winery in Napa on how to talk about wine. Get some wine aficionado connoisseur right degree whatever yeah just family level whatever like you know you're just talking to Steve his name wasn't Steve but you know just talking to (laughs) whoever yeah in in Croatia the owner yeah the owner just making his wine being happy doing his thing so it's really fun it's so interesting hearing about like how how the people over in Europe live um i've never been over there but it's it's interesting hearing like everyone's stories about it and they just live their happy lives and it's so different than here in america and it's so like industrialized and we're all in our phones and like we need everything now and all that and it's very much 
comparatively like lackadaisical over there. Well, and we were lucky with going to Prague and, and Croatia. You know, we had talked about trying to go to Paris or Madrid or one of the, one of the big cities. Yeah. And just flight wise, it didn't work. So that's how we ended up in Prague. I don't really remember how we ended up settling on Croatia to go to. But, you know, those aren't really the places that you hear folks of when they say, I'm going to Europe. It's I'm going to Paris or I'm going to Italy or I'm going to wherever. But, you know, Prague and Croatia aren't those things. But we just had such a good time. And you just learn stuff that you don't know. And I always love watching and figuring out the like culture. Like, I don't know, one of the things do you tip at a restaurant? Is that like, do you do that or not? I learned when I was in London, I had gone to London, you know, obviously a few years before. And I remember we, my friend and I were at a pub and I ordered a beer and like I tipped like I normally do because I'm a dumb American. And we weren't in a popular, we were like kind of in an off the beaten path pub. And I remember the bartender looking at me and being like, your beer, I don't remember how much it was, but you know, but like, your beer was three pounds and I gave him four or whatever. And he's like, you sure you want to do that? Like, <laughs> and, I, and I didn't get it at first. I was like, yeah, the beer was $3. I just tipped you another, like, yes, please take your money. And it wasn't until I got back to the hotel. He would give me very attentive service all night long. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> it wasn't until I got back to the hotel that I realized, oh, maybe I should look if you tip in the UK, which you don't because it like, they are actually paid decent wages where they don't you don't need the tips to live on. However, if you go to highly Americanized places, the restaurants have learned and they will put that like gratuity thing on your bill because they know Americans are stupid and will just be like, oh, 15 percent or 20 percent or whatever. And so that I mean, yeah, they're smart business people. But fun fact, in London, you do not have to tip. Yeah, the the culture is so interesting to learn about yeah. in different places of the world. It's like, how do you greet each other? Do you tip? Right. Do you make eye contact? Right. What do you do like, with your hands? <laughs> what do you do with your hands? I, I, never like, I just know. don't know. <laughs> never know what to do with your hands. I don't do it with my hands. <laughs> like as a woman, like what's considered provocative and what's not. And yeah, you know, it just how how can you dress? Yeah. What, like what's acceptable? What right. are people going to judge you as? Whatever right. your appearance looks like. Yeah. It's, like is it one of those places where you like you kind of need to be dressed up all the time versus I feel like I don't know really where in America like you have to be maybe in new york city i don't know but like you have to be like dressed nicer but in some i know in some places in europe you do and if you're not people are like why are you wearing your pajamas out here you're like um these are yoga pants and they're like yeah you look like trash you look like a bum yeah don't be a piece of trash go put pants on (laughs) yeah it's not really it's not really like that in in america i mean (laughs) go to walmart and your pjs yeah whatever target it's like the same thing yeah everywhere yeah I don't care. You're going to look at me in my plaid PJs. You can go fly a kite. <laughs> I'm going to wear these because I don't care and I don't want to put pants on. Yeah. Um, yeah. So where else have you went? Um, I did a trip with a girlfriend to London and Ireland, like I said, and that was it. London was off. I don't know that I'd go back to London. Like I've been there once. It was just like a, it was just like a big city in, in the U.S., but with everybody had British accents. So it like I'm glad I went the one time and and did it, but I'm like I don't know that I would need to go back. We did a food tour there, did another pub crawl. Uh, we did a Jack the Ripper because the girl I was with was super into crime, anything. So we did a Jack the Ripper bar crawl. That was so much fun. I fell in love with gin in London. Um, 
we actually did too. We did a pub crawl and then we did a, a food tour. And just, again, like the most amazing food I had on that trip was on that food, that food tour. So we did that. And then Ireland and I would move to Ireland in a heartbeat. It's gorgeous. Everyone is so nice. The men have the sexiest accents <laughs> and just, it's just such a beautiful part of the, of the world. I would, I would go back in a minute. I get to wear sweaters all the time. I love sweaters and it would be great. So I want to go, I definitely want to go back to Ireland. Don't know that I'd go back to London, but I would go to Ireland and I'd love to go to Scotland. This is like the, the bad review, the only bad review I've heard of London. Like there's, there's always that one star review for anything. Yeah. This is, it wasn't a one star. One like I, we had, we had a great trip. It was an amazing city. I, I learned, I got to, you know, stand on the, what is it? The Grand Meridian line or whatever. And, and see all these historic places and, and do the river crew. I mean, I, I loved it. I loved our, our four or five days there, but it's like, there's so many other places in here. If I'm making the, if I'm, crossing the ocean i want to go see some other places versus like ireland like i'd go back tomorrow if you're like hey here's a flight i'd be like cool i gotta take my kid but we're going to ireland so what's what was so great about ireland uh is beautiful and everything was so green and just the people were so friendly and i was it just I don't, I don't know it was just somewhere that i just fell in love with like i don't have any like this very picturesque countryside and somewhere i'm like i want to spend more time here like i want to go like explore this tiny island more and you know we got to go over and see the cliffs of more and that was just just breathtaking like you just walk up to things and you're like oh my god like it's just gorgeous and you don't have any other words and none of the pictures that i have like do it justice it's just to be able to stand there and see this majestically beautiful thing in front of you is just it's amazing that's why you travel to have those experiences and to see the things that you don't see on on the regular and to you know be part of something bigger than yourself and realize yeah. how tiny you are in the world that's why you do it yeah absolutely that's that's one of the reasons i love going out west yeah because it's you know you're way higher above sea level than you are here yeah and there's also you know those country bumpkin towns not country bumpkin yeah. in like an offensive manner but right it's not, you know, the hustling, bustling city. Yeah. And there's just so much that you can see. And then there's like these mountains off in the distance. Mm -hmm. And it's like. I love the mountains. I love, love the them. West. The mountains and the beach. And I think it's because it's like a, a quick reminder of like, you're really tiny in this world. And like, you don't really matter. Like, not that you don't matter, but like your problems are so small compared to everything else going on in the world. So it's always a good reset for me to like remember kind of your place in the world going to either of those two places yeah absolutely um i'm interested in your like i don't know most people are beach or mountains there's yeah. no in between like oh, no, you I'm love both. both i'm a both how, how i don't know explain how you're both <laughs> i don't know They're it's just different like i said like i like for the same reason that it's the the it's just the bigness of them and it's the the bigness and vastness and also it's something that we don't have here in ohio we have nothing close to mountains and beaches here in ohio so yeah. they're th i just i love i just find so much peace being at either spot it's just they're just beautiful and just it's something that we don't get to ex i don't get to experience a lot living in ohio so when i do get to go be part of either of those things i just love it absolutely i i totally agree with you um 
I talked in my last episode with uh, my buddy Nathan that it's I don't know how people are like beach people. I I'll try to understand it, but I'm not. I'm not there yet. I, I love the beach. can't sit there. But I love an empty beach. I don't want to go to like a boardwalk where there's 4 million other people. Oh, yeah. I hate, that's I don't, the worst. I hate people. I don't want to do it. Like Now, my husband loves the ocean. Not the beach. He loves the ocean. That man will go in the ocean and hang out there for like two and a half hours. And you just watch this little ginger head just like float <laughs> up and down. You have to like look and be like, is he still float? Nope. There. Okay. There he is. I see the red hair and the sunglasses. He's fine. He's okay. He's just bobbing around. Like, he loves the ocean, whereas for me, like, I, I don't know if it's, like, I'm a texture person. Yeah. I like to feel. I'm a physical touch person, and so I like feeling the sand. I like the, just the, the I mean, I love white noise, too. So, like, the waves coming in, it's just all, very, you know, if you ever go to therapy or do any kind of, you know, uh, guided imagery stuff, you know, go to your happy place. And, and, what you know, for me, that's, I'm on a beach, and it's warm. But I'm not in the sun because I'm really pale and I'll burn. So I'm like in the warmth under an umbrella and <laughs> just laying in the chair. Like I love like I just love the thought of like my hands and my feet in the sand and, and hearing the waves and just I don't know. It's my happy place. But then I love the mountains because you just if you're in a good spot in the mountains, it's just it's so quiet. And oh, we yeah. so rarely get quiet in our world these days. So just to be able to go and be in the quiet and the calm and see all the the nature colors and again like big sap over here so i just i love both of it i i totally agree with you uh i can expand on this story later but there was one time bc before covid before. <laughs> <laughs> um, i went to aspen to the maroon bells yeah and it was march so it was still like basically middle of winter there right and I hiked all the way up, and the whole time I'm alone. Yeah. In just a quiet. Mm-hmm. Like a lot of people would go crazy, right? They would need it's hard. music or podcasts or it's something, something going on. Yeah. And I, all I heard was my feet crunching in the snow. Yep. It's oh, hard. Amazing. A lot of us aren't used to, and even for me, like it takes you know a little bit to kind of readjust to that quiet because we aren't used to slowing down and we aren't used to the quiet. We aren't used to being in our own brains to think about stuff and it's hard it's an adjustment when you have to do that yeah but i mean once you get over that like hump yeah i guess that like anxiety inducing hump yeah of getting in your own mind and yeah seeing what's going on in there it's peaceful mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. have you been out west much i mean besides california yeah so i was born in las vegas and oh, lived there lived there i mean I lived there till I was six. My dad was out there for the for, – he was stationed out at Nellis in the Air Force. So okay. that's why we were there. My whole family is from Ohio. Um, so we went out – we went back to Vegas quite a bit, you know, over my life just to see. We made some really good family friends out there. So we didn't go out. I have been to the Strip and have done the Strip, like, as a over 21-year-old adult. And I'm like, this is not my thing. This is not yeah. my jam. So when we go out to Vegas, we go out to see – people and and go out to the desert and go up to the mountains and go do those things which which i love so i've spent a decent amount of time out there um i've been to arizona i've been to the grand canyon um been all up and down the state of california because my husband's family is is from almost to the top to san diego at the bottom so we've spent a lot of time out there but i do love the west and the desert and it's just there's a lot of stuff out there that we haven't I haven't had the chance to see that I would like to at some point in my life. 
What What do you want to go see? Like all the, I feel like it's like in the like Arizona, New Mexico kind of area. Just all of the, I don't know what all the names are, but like all the big structures and. Oh yeah. Everything. All the stuff that the stupid Instagram people post about. Like I want to go <laughs> like see those things. All the all the mountains, the national forests, yeah. the national parks. Yeah. The so Yosemite. Like, you know, probably like, and we've been to Yosemite. I've spent a day in Yosemite because it was okay. like the. My husband drove me through the like best parts of of Yosemite because his aunt lived about an hour and a half outside of the park. So we went there one day and it was amazing. So I'm hoping once my daughter's older, you know, those are trips that we can go back to and and experience with her. Right. So. Um, I'll put it on your list. Mesa Verde. Mesa Verde. Okay. It's in the bottom of Colorado. Okay. I I love Colorado. It's so pretty. Oh, it's beautiful. I think it's close to um, like Utah and New Mexico. It was like ancient city, like built inside of a cliff. Yep. From when we went Native Americans. Yeah, my ex and I went. It was our Arizona trip, and we did Phoenix and Sedona, which is amazing, and the Grand Canyon. And I think it was one. I think it was one of the tours that we did in Sedona, where it was like an an ancient you know indian tribe and they built their home in the side of a cliff and you're just staring there like you're sitting like you're standing on the ground and you're looking up at this cliff and you're like god like i don't want to climb the stairs to the second floor of my house like (laughs) how do these people do this and like just see it's just crazy to but again that's the point of traveling and learning the different things is just learning about how other people live yeah you said that one was in sedona i want to say it was sedona because that was that that was our arizona trip and i don't I don't think it was our the Grand Canyon part of the trip. I think it was in Sedona, but I'd have to I'd have to go back to my pictures and look through. But I'm pretty sure it was pretty sure it was Sedona. One of the best parts about that trip was we got we rented a four wheeler and essentially they're like, "Hey, don't kill yourself. Be back by this time. Good luck. Wear your helmet." Oh wow! And I'm not a four wheeler girl at all. I'm very much a city girl. Grew up whatever, but. You know, and so I made my ex drive the four wheeler. I I drove it a little bit, but I'm, like I said before, I'm a weenie, so he drove it for the most part. But that was just so cool because you are you're by yourself in the desert on a four wheeler and just seeing things that you don't normally see and being in spots you aren't normally and getting to you know do that was just so cool. That that does sound amazing. It was awesome. It was all like you know it was dusk. We had to be back before dark, but you know it was dusk as we're driving back to the place on the outskirt of sedona somewhere and you know just cool you're slightly hoping that like you know someone jump doesn't jump out and kill you but for the most (laughs) part it was it was it was really awesome there's not a whole lot going out on out there though right like when you're out on the four-wheeler no no it's all desert and and cacti and but it's cool it was amazing just again it's that scenery you know you look out your window here and you're like oh cool there's another house and there's this guy and that's about it but you know out there you look out into the distance you're like oh cool there's a mountain and there's two mountains and actually i look i'm surrounded by mountains so it's just (laughs) that was one of my husband's hardest parts so he grew up in the bay area you know lived around the bay area in his 20s and and into um his 30s and then when he moved here to ohio obviously we don't have mountains and there's lots of mountains in california and he had a really hard time like with the flatness of this state and and not having the mountains to look at and and look off in the distance and see something so that was a big challenge for him when he moved here yeah i (laughs) i so i like i mentioned i love going out west and i can relate to patrick a little bit where it's like you get out there 
and you're like immediately used to it yeah. and the fact that you're like i could i could do this, this yeah this I could would be okay here. scenery yeah and, and then, then you, you see your monthly rent of thirty four hundred dollars a month and you're like yeah no, i'm gonna go not. back to my my full house that i own in ohio and where the cost of living is way cheaper and i'll just yeah. and every time we go back to san francisco because i love the city of san francisco you know mostly because of the year we spent there and it's just it's a fun city and it's so fun like, i mean you're an hour north and you're in wine country an hour south and you're at the beach you know four hours east and you're in the mountains and it, it's a great city but i quickly realized every time we go back i love visiting this city i don't want to live here right but i do love visiting it's that's always a, a fun thing to learn when you travel somewhere yeah. like multiple times you're like okay I figured out I just love going to the city for yeah. a short period of time. Right. I don't want to be living here yeah. my whole life. Yeah. I, and I've not, there's not been many places that I've gone back to as far as traveling goes. San Diego, San Francisco, Fresno, but again, but that's mostly because of, of Patrick's family. Um, but like we never had a, we always go this place growing up. We There was three years with my dad's third wife that we went to Ocean City, Maryland three years in a row. And that was fun. And it was fun like going back to the same place. But we never did the Ohio thing where everyone like went to somewhere in the Outer Banks or Myrtle Beach or whatever. I've never been. I've never been to either of the Carolinas. It's actually like on my list to go. Um, but we never did that. And I've been lucky in that I, I – there's not many places that I've traveled to more than once because we've just gotten to see a lot of different things. Anywhere that I've gone frequently is because family lives there. My family right. lives in Texas, so I go to Texas a lot. And same thing with California. You know, we're out there a lot because of that. But, you know, I'm, I, I, I don't have a, a single home place that I've tried. You know, we went every year for, for a summer vacation sort of thing. You always hear that about Ohio people, yeah. like the the snowbirds, I yes. guess, is what everyone's like. Everyone like goes to like Naples, Florida. Or like anywhere Marco Island, anywhere in Florida, really, or the outer, any of the, either of the Carolinas. Yeah. And we just, it's it. We, we just never been there. We never did that. And I think it's because like you, I don't know, you rent a beach house or, or whatever. And my, we did a lot of traveling with my mom. My mom was a single mom and she wasn't going to let that stop her from traveling. I mean, she took us to Disney. She took us to Florida. She took us to Chicago. We did, a, I mean, for being a single mom with young kids, like we did a lot of traveling. We flew a ton. I've flown a ton, which, you know, it's not something that always gets to happen for kids. So I've been really lucky in that I've been fairly well traveled since I was very young. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. It's, that is very lucky that a lot of people don't get to experience. Mm -hmm. um, which is why I like to talk about it here. Like just hearing everyone's experience with travel. And yeah. I think it's always awesome to share those memories with others yeah um so we can we can switch gears though okay is there is there anything that you wanted to mention about like being married to patrick or anything about your i guess journey to being married yeah being married is a journey that's for sure so patrick and i met um in 2015 and we're that really obnoxious couple that knew within, like, I don't know, like, four to eight weeks, like, stupid early, that we were, like, in love with each other and we had found our person. Like, it's the stupid, like, rom-com stuff, right? 
and both of us just kept saying like uh this can't be right this can't be real this is obviously gonna blow up in our faces this is a terrible thing and honestly he was supposed to be my rebound I dated a guy for four and a half years and we had broke up a few months earlier and I went out on a date with Patrick because I wanted someone to tell me I was pretty that wasn't my (laughs) (laughs) ex-boyfriend so that's why I went out on the date and then I married him so you know he marriage is a journey and it's something that it it's definitely more it's a partnership and it's something like yes love is important and yes those that you know that's where it all starts but it grows into a friendship you know it's a a mutually respected friendship that you're in love with and you know every day is not sunshine and glitter and butterflies and it's not all these romantic things every day but it's like it's you waking up and choosing the same person every day like I wake up every day and I choose Patrick as my spouse and that's the important thing that I've learned with marriage especially having a little one so we have a a 14 month old at home and she her name is Maggie she's amazing and I love her and she has so much work and she's so busy but like that changes a marriage and you know it's amazing to grow through this parenthood relationship with him but also like how do you still stay true to yourself and try to stay who are the people that you were before you had a kid so it just is a lot of changes and and it's it's work and I know there's a lot of people who say like marriage people that are in long-term relationships will say oh it's not being married isn't any different it's the same thing you just have a ring on and you know and I believe that until I got married and for me, marriage is different. To me, it feels different. You're committed to this person. You cannot just walk away. You are committed to this person and creating this life with this person. And for me, it's different. And, you know, Patrick is just, he's my person. I can go to him with anything. And, you know, he's always there for me. And he's the most supportive person ever. And even when I have my, like, crazy days or crazy thoughts or whatever, and or I'm being a an anxious mess. I mean, he's always there to like calm me down and be the voice of reason and, and just be there to support. I mean, you know, and I say, well, what do you think about doing this? And he always says, I want you to do whatever makes you happy, whatever that is. I want you to be happy in this life and I support you doing whatever that means. So that's my like third sappy moment of, <laughs> of, uh, of the, uh, of the podcast. So but yeah, no, it's, Marriage is fun. It's fun and it's hard and it's a blast and it's every, it's all the things. It's all the things rolled up into one, but we are that like sappy, annoying couple. I don't, I fully admit to that. Yeah. I, as a witness, (laughs) (laughs) as a witness, I I can, yeah, I can confirm that. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We are. It's ridiculous. We're ridiculous. Um, but, But let's talk about Maggie. Let's talk about. You know, she's your first child. Yeah. Only hear about the whole experience because most people don't really know the experience of being a first-time mom. Yeah, it's awful. That, I took that back. It's not awful. That shouldn't be the first thing I say about being a mom. So it, you know, I am not one of those women who's like, oh, my God, I'm meant to be a mom. Oh, my God, I'm ready to have 14 children, and I want to be a mom, and that's all I want to do, and and that's it. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's about my mom. My mom was that way her whole life. All she wanted to do was be a mom. And I have friends that are that way. But for me, it was never that. I love kids. Obviously, we talked about being a pediatric nurse. I love them. I love babies. I love, you know, I love my family. And I always knew I wanted a family. But I never had that drive to, like, 
oh, this is what I'm meant to do with my life. And, you know, I'm with Patrick and we decide to try and get pregnant and we do a lot quicker than we thought we were going to. (laughs) And we're very lucky. We had a very uneventful pregnancy for the most part. And, you know, labor was uh, awful. I mean, it's what you think. I mean, you're pooping out a watermelon, essentially. So, like, it's it's kind of as bad as you think it's going to be. But overall, had a fairly, you know, positive experience. Uh, Maggie did have to go in the hospital one night because her bilirubin was high. But it's a very kind of common baby thing. So she's been fine and has no long-term anything from it. And But it's it's a whole thing, this whole parenthood journey. I mean, it's just like as soon as they come out of you like that is your life 24 7 so let's let's like take it back let's slow it down a little bit what was like what was pregnancy like weird because it was most people don't experience yeah it's weird it was like these women who are like oh my god pregnancy is amazing and i feel so beautiful and it's just (laughs) like you have life growing inside of you that was not me while my pregnancy was fairly uneventful, it was weird. It was weird growing this tiny human inside. Especially when you start feeling a move, you're like, whoa, whoa, that's not just gas. Like, <laughs> there is something moving inside of me. And I had a really hard time with being told what I couldn't, couldn't do. The only thing I craved in pregnancy was a turkey sandwich and Diet Coke. And I was very strict about, I had no, once I found out I was pregnant, there was no, I followed the pregnancy dietary rules to a T. And so it was really hard being told what I couldn't, couldn't do with my body. Like, I remember I was out to lunch with a couple girlfriends and one of my friends has horses. And I was like, oh man, I haven't ridden horses in like forever. Like, can I come up next weekend? Like, we'll just go on a trail ride. And she's like, no. I was like, why? She goes, because you're seven and a half months pregnant. I'm like, <laughs> so... No, you're not getting, no, you're not getting on a, like, you're, and so, like, it was that stuff, being told that I couldn't do things because I was pregnant just really irked me. And I'm like, I'm fine. It's going to be fine. The baby's going to be fine. Somehow women have birthed babies for thousands of years doing stuff way harder than I'm doing. And, hum, you know, human civilization has carried on. But that was a hard part for me. And also just seeing, I'm, we talked about it before, I'm an anxious person. So you have no control over any of it at all and so that's hard I mean and you just because that baby is inside of you it's with you 24 7 and like I know you know, it was with Patrick a lot too but it's different when it's like growing inside of you because it's literally just all you think about all the time you're like well I hope this goes okay well I hope this kid's okay well I really hope they have red hair well I really hope that like they're not screwed up like I hope I don't screw this kid up like I hope I don't it's just it's so many what ifs and and you just have no control over it so it's a very humbling experience but pregnancy was was interesting i was very hot which i'm a cold person so that was challenging i'm pretty sure we kept our bedroom at like 62 degrees for the entirety of my pregnancy um that's cold (laughs) and it was great until i had the baby and then i'm like why is it so cold in here uh and, but it, I mean, the hormones were really bad. Um, I don't, I wasn't really prepared for those. And, you know, I'm not a very angry person, but I was really angry in the first trimester. And my poor sweet husband, I yelled at him so much for no reason at all. 
like he would walk in the door and I'd be like, why the hell did you do that? And just yell at him. And he was so sweet. And he would just stand there and be like, are you yelling at me because I did something wrong? Or are you yelling at me because you have some hormone issues right now? And I had to stop and think and be like, <laughs> crap, did he do something that I'm mad about? Or is it just because I'm hormonal? And but 99% of the time, it was because my hormones were raging and that was awful. But, um, you know, it just, it's pregnancy is weird. It's just crazy. I mean, it's just this crazy ride. Then this baby pops out of you and that really pops. You push it very hard like, <laughs> out of your body. But it's just, it's, it's crazy. And you just love this little thing. Like so much, and I, I know all the parents say it, and it's all, you know, it's all gushy and whatever. But but I ha- I did have a friend that told me it's okay if you come home and don't love the baby immediately. Like you're gonna love it, obviously, but like you're just bringing the stranger into your house. And I think a lot of moms don't talk about that. A lot of moms are like, oh my god, they came out and I instantly was in love, and it was just. That's what I've heard. Yeah, like... and it and you are. I mean, you like it ain't you know you are deep down you know that you're gonna jump in front of a bullet for this baby and you you love it but it really wasn't until you know i was a couple months in that i'm like uh, it's that then you're looking you're like oh my god like i didn't know it was possible to love something else so much (laughs) but i just love the crap out of you you tiny little potato and but it took a while and that i was so grateful that my friend told me that because you know i think we don't talk about that a lot because oh, you don't love your baby. And it's like, no, it's not that I don't love my kid, but you don't grow that. And I, I feel like it grow, Meg grows for Maggie all the time as she gets older and is more interactive and is communicating and doing things. Like, I feel like your love just keeps growing and growing and growing. But no, the baby doesn't come out and you're instantly like, at least for, and Patrick, you know, felt the same way. It was just, it's not this instantaneous, like, I don't know, oozing of love. I mean, it's, it's, which sounds terrible. Again, like you love your baby when they come out, but it's just, you're bringing a stranger into your house. You're bringing a stranger for both of you. You're both strangers to each other, trying to figure each other out and and get used to having that third person in the house. But now like it's, it's like she was always there. I remember looking at Patrick and she's, I don't know, like three or four months old and just looking at him and saying, what did we do before Maggie was here? (laughs) <laughs> like, what did we do with our lives? Like, what was it all for? What was it, you know, why, what's this all about? And then you have your kid and you're like, God, this is great. But it is not for everybody. And if people are like, I don't want kids, you should not have kids. Because they're a lot. Yeah, your life dramatically changed. Instantaneously changes. changes and then yeah. 24-7. Like, it's, and anyone I'd recommend it's going to have a kid you got to have your support system. Like, thank God for my mom has been a huge support system for us. And just having someone that you can call and be like, please come take this child from me so I can sleep more than three hours. And like, you have to, you have to have your support system. Or I don't, I don't know how people raise kids without support systems. I really don't. Cause we, I mean, it takes a village. It truly does take a village. And like, I'm so grateful for, our, like, our friends that are able to work around us having a kid who is sick constantly because she's a dirty daycare kid. And like, <laughs> hey, I know we had plans, but I had to cancel because my kid's sick again or because she just puked all over me and like I just can't do it. It's it's hard and it's hard to have to adjust your life to that. So you just got to have your got to have your crew and they got to be understanding of how parenthood changes things. And 
it's hard. It's hard for folks that don't have kids because it's like, I hated being told that before I had Maggie. Like, you don't understand you're not a parent. And I would always get really angry with that. People would tell me that. <laughs> but then I had Maggie and I'm like, oh, man, I get what they mean now. Like, you don't know until you're in it. And it's just, it's hard. But it's amazing. Like, Maggie found her hair at dinner the other day. And it was so freaking funny. But she was just like, what the hell is on top of my head? And where has this been my whole life? And why does it feel this way? And it feels even better when I run pasta sauce through it. And like just, she's just so funny. And watching her learn things is amazing. And watch her experience things and and get so excited. You know, her first real word that she's saying is happy. Oh, really? And it's so cute. <laughs> she, she goes, happy, happy. And it's just so like, that's just so fun. It's just, it goes back to the pediatric cancer nurse thing, right? Like, it's the little yeah. things. Like, look, kids love little things. They love pink Play-Doh or they love whatever. And Maggie's first real word is is happy. And it's just so, like, just awesome. It's it's amazing watching, like, little kids learn things for yeah. the very first time. Oh, it's great. I love it. And, like, I in my experience watching Maggie so far, yeah, it, it's so cool to go over and just watch her. Just watch. Yeah. Oh, you do. You just sit there and watch her. Yeah. And just let her do her things w- yeah. without, you know, hurting herself well, right, or whatever. Obviously. Don't stick your finger in the electrical socket. Right. <laughs> Don't do that, please. Yeah. <laughs> but it's so cool just watching a tiny human yeah. just learn about everything that's going on in their own world, yeah. right? They're not learning about everything that's going on on the news. Yeah, or I don't have to like but, do big scary explanations for her yet. Yeah, but like one of my favorite parts of the day is I have two favorite parts of the day. So I love I I get Maggie up in the morning, and she's so funny because she's a grouch. She doesn't wake up this happy baby. She is mad, but she is awake and and functioning and she hates and she's a scowl she's got her dad's scowl on her face every morning and i just <laughs> it's just fun wa- and like watching her like i get her dressed and i give her a bottle and then she's just happy as a clam like watching i mean she's just a little person that's how we are you know we don't get up and bounce up happy out of bed and and then i love watching dinner time with her because she loves to eat and she is so funny and she is just this chatty little thing and she is just She's just telling you how it is. She's not using words, but she is just very seriously telling you about how her day went and what she's doing <laughs> and how she's feeling about eating these meatballs and how she's secretly going to sneak some noodles on the floor to give to our dog. And I mean, it's just, just so, she's so fun. And just like you said, just, you sit and watch her. I guess what I do. I just love to sit and watch her and just, you know, putzes around from one thing to the next and she's got a slide right now that she loves and she likes to crawl up it backwards and go down on her belly and then she'll crawl up the side and just you know smack her feet against the slide and just think she's you know just living her best life and it's just fun it's just so fun to watch it's awesome it's so cool watching tiny humans learn everything yeah all the things it's um I love I love the pictures of food like feeding time oh they're just best when when they're at this age that you guys send and our friends brian and sarah send yeah there's just food everywhere everywhere and they're just happy oh man and i tell you what get a dog because we never have to clean up our floor anytime we ever travel with maggie and we don't have our dog with us 
I just re- I don't I don't realize how big of a mess she makes <laughs> because <laughs> Hank cleans it up and I don't ever have to clean up the floor until I'm at like my mom's house or I'm at any literally anywhere else with her and I'm like why is there so much food on the floor like what did you do and it's just because she's <laughs> she just happens to toss it over and it's funny because when we're we are out places and she's not quite old enough to realize like Hank isn't with us. Yeah. And so she'll like look over the side of her high chair and you know, where, where's, where's Hank? Where's my friend? Or like sometimes she'll just like drop things like waiting for him to come and, <laughs> you know, do his little nails and, and come pick up whatever she dropped. And we have to say, you know, honey, Hank's not here. Please stop pushing food off of the high chair and please <laughs> eat it instead of pushing it on the ground for these poor restaurant people to have to clean up later. So, yeah, so how's how's that relationship with her and the dog, her and Hank? It's is getting it... better. I think Hank is starting to like her more. She's gotten to the point now where she picks up his toys, and she can't quite throw yet, but she picks them up and she drops them. And she's try- I, I can tell she's trying She's giving to, it her best go. She's trying to go. She is trying to just throw it. And I think once she can throw it, and they can kind of like play fetch. It's going to continue to get better, I think, as she gets older. Yeah. Patrick hate or not Patrick. That's the husband. The dog, <laughs> Hank, hates that he is not the center of attention. Hates it. He is oh, an attention-seeking little whore dog. And he <laughs> is very upset that he is no longer the center of attention. So I think as Maggie gets older and can like give him that attention, I think their relationship will be a lot better. But it's not been – it's kind of like – He's been indifferent. Like everyone would think it was cute. Oh, he's sitting next to her. Oh, that's so cute. He's trying to protect her. No, he is not trying to protect her. He wants to be in between her and me because he wants more attention than the baby does. Like when I would be sitting and breastfeeding her, I would sit on the couch Indian style. I'd be breastfeeding her and he would be sitting on my lap. Like he is always still on me, even though I'm like, dude, seriously, I'm like trying to like feed my kid and you're just laying there. Okay. Well, great. (laughs) I'm going to sit here. Trapped by the baby and the dog. You're not moving for a long time. No. Nope. Nope. I mean, that's that's how he learned because you guys had him when he was a little boy, he was right? A baby puppy. Yeah. He was a little four pounder. He was so cute. We brought him home. Oh my god. <laughs> <sighs> Patrick comes home with a baby schnauzer. I'm gonna kill him. So, as worry he's gonna come home with one one day. Oh, like another one? Like another one, yeah. I think he's just going to come home with one, and then I'm going to have to divorce him. So I'm telling him to not do that. Well, it's fortunate that he works from home. It is fortunate (laughs) that he works from home. But puppies are terrible. Oh, yeah. And I already have Hank. Not that he's a lot of work. He's so easy. But Maggie's a lot of work. And I just don't really know that I want to throw a puppy into that mix. But I just really worry he's just going to come home with one. one (laughs) He's like, here. Surprise! I brought home another tiny thing for you. Here you another go. Another tiny thing to take care of. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't. We'll see. But it's not. It's not gonna happen. Or maybe it. Maybe it might. He. I don't know. I would not put it past him as something it, as it being something he can do. It will not be a favorable conversation if it happens. It's unfortunate. <laughs> I know. We'll see, though. Um, all right. <laughs> it's enough about Hank and what if yeah. Hank. Possible uh, puppies. Possible. Another Hank shows up. Anything else you want to mention about Maggie? No, I think that 
you know, I was really scared to have have babies for a long time because I'm like, oh, the timing's not right. The timing's not right. And my husband, who is right again, he's right all the time. It's very annoying. Um, but he's like, you know, Kelsey, there is no good time to do this. There is no good time to have a kid. And I was like, eh. And then, and but he was right. There is no good time. Like you just, you just do it and you jump in and and it's scary and it's fun and it's a blast and it's I'm excited to watch like we talked about traveling earlier you know I'm excited to watch her be able to take her places and take her to Europe and take her to out west and take her to the beach I can't wait to take her to the beach and she's gonna hate it I know it's gonna be great oh yeah uh (laughs) so it's just like I can't wait to go do those things with her and you know it is it is this amazing ride and you know people it's the best thing I'm ever gonna do and I, I hope I truly hope that raising her is the best thing I'm ever gonna do and you know we'll We'll see how it goes. But that doesn't mean everybody should have kids. I'm also very big on that. Like, if you are a person that is like, you know, this really isn't for me, like, don't be pressured into doing it because I really don't think that you should unless you really, unless you want kids because it, it is a lot. I think that a lot, especially women, you know, feel like, oh, well, shit, like I'm 34 or 35. Like, I haven't had kids yet. Like, is that something I want to do? And, and it's okay if you don't. It is. Like, it, it doesn't make you a bad person or a less person or less of a woman or anything like that because you don't want to have babies but if you like are thinking about it you should because it is a lot of fun <laughs> yeah just with great. the right people right yeah. person gotta do it with the right person you gotta have the right spouse you gotta have the right support system and and it, it is it's it's fun and amazing and and just a whole lot of feelings that you never had before and a lot of hormones <laughs> you didn't have before and but it's great and it's it's just it's so fun it is. She's just, I love her stupid little face so much. She's just great. Yeah, she's she's adorable. She's real cute. Um, but I'm biased, so. I, you have yeah. to be. Well, yeah, you, have, you can't be like, God, I have an ugly kid. I mean, you could, but people probably frown on that. Right. You can't call your kid ugly. Mm-mm. Can't call anyone else's kid ugly. Oh, definitely can't do that. Afterwards, you can and be like, yeah, your kid, when they were like two months old, they were not cute. Uh-huh. If you have the right friends, they'll be like, yeah, you're right. They were not cute, but. <laughs> Maggie's been pretty cute since she came out. Yeah, yeah, she has. Yeah. Um. Well, I just want to ask you one more question. Oh boy. Okay. Um. It's uh. It's a question I ask everyone. Okay. What uh. What like final piece of advice do you want to leave with anyone listening, Maggie? Uh, Maggie's kids. Oh, if boy. she if they end up listening to this. Oh boy. Anything else? You know, I go back to my really sappy thing we were talking about when we were talking about me, me being a nurse. It's it's just life is so short. It's so short. And even after having Maggie, like, it's even shorter. It's it's just everything goes by so fast. And I know everyone says that. And, like, some of the best parenting advice I got was, you know, the days are really long, but the years are so short. And it's so true. I mean, I'm looking at it's Christmas time. And I am making this little ornament with Maggie's hand for the grandparents. So hopefully this doesn't go out before Christmas. Uh, but this actually goes I, out in January. Okay, well, great. We don't have to worry about this then. <laughs> but you know, it's it's comparing her hand. I did the same thing last year, and so comparing her hand last year to now, it's this year, and it's it's just you just at least for me, I just want to I want to capture like every minute. I have so many stupid pictures on and video on my phone because you do you just try to hold it you try to just remember everything and remember every little minute and you can't so it's just 
it's just remembering that it is it does go by so fast and to do the things that you love as best you can you know also while being a functioning adult um and just tell everybody that you love them and and spend time with the people that matter to you and and don't don't spend time with awful people and just don't because you don't need to you know surround yourself with people that make you happy the people that bring joy to your life and that's who you should be around and just it's it's so short it's all so short and it can be cut so so quickly so just do all the things that they make wall hangings about like we just said <laughs> <laughs> all the basic white moms you know do do, laugh, love. do all those things because you should you really <laughs> should that's what that's what nursing has taught me is that this is just such a short life and and just you can't live every day you know you can't do the whole oh live every day like it's your last and da, 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 da. i mean that's a lot of pressure you can't do that but just try try most days to do what what makes you happy and be with people who make you happy make you laugh and and find find your great love whether that's it find them at 20 or at 80 i mean you you do that and and just be a good person and that's all that matters i guess that's what i have to leave people with um I love the advice. I think it's great. I really appreciate you coming out here, yeah. taking the time out of your day yeah. and tell your story, especially as, you know, someone with a wild job as yeah. you've had. And I get um, to be the first girl, right? Yeah, yeah. First female. All right. I need more females to come in here and tell <laughs> their stories. Really appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't let me be the only one, ladies. Come on. Yeah. We need more stories out here. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think it's amazing. You know, with your with your story, your background, being a first time parent, um, all those fun things. It's a wild ride. Yeah. It's so fun though. Yeah. Um, awesome. Thank you so much again yeah. and uh, until next time. Until next time. Thanks everybody. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of Fatal to Prejudice. If you or anyone you know would like to be a guest, please visit my website at Cameronchats.com and fill out the contact me form. Please fill out the subject line as podcast interview and write me a small blurb on why you or someone you know should be a guest. I'll leave a link in the description for ease of access. You can support this podcast by listening to it on your favorite podcasting site. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Another way to support is by becoming a Patreon at patreon.com forward slash fatal to prejudice. Patreon is the only monetary support system. If you would like to sign up and support through there, I am forever grateful for you. Again, thank you for tuning in.